There is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war? That's right, get in it. Why don't you come on back to the war? It's just beginning. Hello, I'd like to welcome everyone to Prosperity Marxism, the podcast of the Institute for the Radical Imagination. And we have a special episode today on the British elections, of course, which were yesterday and which were a landslide victory for the Tories. Uh, and we have with us uh, uh, as, as a guest, Professor Stephen Fielding, who is a professor of political history in the University of Nottingham. And he is a expert on the Labour Party and British elections. So there's no better person, I think, to try to make sense of what is a uh, very depressing, very shocking for some, you know, uh, 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 result in yesterday's elections. Welcome, Steve. Thank you very much for that introduction. Yes, it's depressing times. It's depressing times. <laughs> now, maybe we can begin maybe with sense, some, some sort of historical sense of just how bad the defeat yesterday was. Well, um, for Labour, it would be one of their top three defeats. Yes, if you're going to do a pub quiz and this kind of thing, it would be up there. Um, it's in terms of seats lost um, or seats, seats um, I should say, won, um, how few there were, all the way back to 1935. Labour, um, that's the last time they've lost, they've had fewer seats after an election, 1935. And in terms um, of vote share, it was, it was quite poor too. Um, but I mean, it's it's there. It's it's a very very bad uh, vote share. Um, so the early 30s is the kind of result that Labour gets when it just loses elections. So it's got less in the past, but not much less. So I would say that the nearest comparator is with 1983, which is ironic because that's the election in which Jeremy Corbyn was first elected as an MP along with Tony Blair. So he has. Bad bookends, probably the first and his last election, were not the not ones to uh, to write home about, as they no, say. No, no, and and ironically or not, um, or coincidentally, 1983 is also the last time that Labour went to the country with a truly, I mean, as as many people on the left would say, a truly radical, um, challenging manifesto. So both both times after the Second World War, Labour has gone to the gone to the country with a truly radical manifesto. It has gone down to a crashing defeat. Now, uh, let me follow up on that. Do you think a large reason as to why uh, they lost so many uh, voters was because of the platform? No, I, th I think there's a paradox. There's a paradox going on, um, actually. Um, the manifesto contained, uh, the 2019 manifesto contained lots of policies individually, which uh, individually which were very popular. With the British public, um, uh, free free broadband, uh, that's that that went down well. Um, Nationalising um, the railways and taking back into public hands various other public um, goods such as the, the mail and um, water and gas and various other utilities. They 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 were popular. They, they've actually been popular for a long time. Even even as Labour was not 
even countenancing such policies. There were majorities in the public to renationalize the railway industries, just the Labour Party didn't dare touch that issue. So within the manifesto, there were individually looked to policies that were popular and, and directly challenged, you know, um, capitalism in different ways, or were just arguably things that a, a normal European Social Democratic Party might do anyway, um, in like in Sweden, Germany, wherever. Um, but the problem for Labour in terms of those policies was um, there was no... Most people, when asked, who said, yeah, we like that stuff, didn't believe Labour would do it. They didn't trust the Labour Party to actually do those things, and specifically Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. And they, and they didn't have, as well, um, a, a sound basis in public trust in terms of managing the economy. The Conservatives did, ironically enough, even though they've not really had a, a great record on it. So... So, the, so there are elements in the manifesto, you know, that, that are good and popular, and certainly with many kind of voters and, and certainly with the members, that it would be unwise for a future Labour leader just to just to ditch. Do you think people didn't believe that the policies would happen because they don't trust Corbyn or because they think that these things at this point are not possible, that... In some ways, you know, the old Thatcher dictum of there is no alternative, that's really been taken to heart. And people can't even imagine even the modest gains of something like uh, a free going back to free university or nationalizing some of the infrastructure. I, don't, I mean, I, I think those two issues um, are combined, really, because, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn was the most unpopular leader of the opposition since records began in the 1980s. I mean, no other leader of the opposition has fallen as low in public regard um, as Jeremy Corbyn. And, and then we, we can maybe discuss why that was. But because he was the one that was fronting it up, um, then people didn't necessarily believe that he had the capacity to do those things. They, they just didn't think he was up to the job of being prime minister and therefore to apply those different policies. Um, I didn't get a sense that people didn't trust Labour to implement those policies because they didn't think it was possible. Um, I think they thought it was possible. I mean, many of them, because in, in the British case, a lot, of, a lot of that manifesto was really going back to policies that had been, you know, he, he was only going to be renationalizing lots of things that, that, that had been privatized by Thatcher. So this wasn't like in the United States, you know, a flight of imagination that, that people would find extremely scary. There were lots of things that people were quite familiar with and did did one and thought were possible. It was just that Jeremy Corbyn um, kind of was not the right leader to sell those um, policies in the sense that people thought he was going to do it. Yeah, we like the policies. We just don't think you're going to do it. So it was a different kind of uh, vision of impossibility, really. It was his capacity to deliver. I think one thing a lot of people on the outside have difficulty understanding is after nine years or so of austerity in the UK of Tory leadership, after the many bumbling and inept attempts that the Tories have made, you know, in first going for the Brexit referendum, you know, losing it when they thought, of course, that it would not, you know, it would not pass. After all of these many mistakes and the, the many bumbling mistakes of Boris Johnson, you know, who is a poor uh, uh, simile of uh, Trump in this kind of, uh, you know, gregarious right wing populist uh, uh, figurehead. 
how is it that people wouldn't at least vote against the Tories, even if they didn't like Jeremy Corbyn, let's say? Why not at least say we don't want a continuation of austerity and all of these um, uh, policies of the last nine years? Yeah, well, that's that. That's the biggest indictment of of the of the Labour Party, of Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party. That 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 is true, um, and we haven't quite determined why that is. Um, so, because so the thing is, Jeremy Corbyn was deeply unpopular, but Boris Johnson was almost as unpopular. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. people people didn't vote in in the Northern Heartlands, the working class Heartlands that had been voting Labour for generations and generations um, that went to the Conservatives. That A lot of people that, that voted Conservatives did with, with quite a lot of misgivings um, about Boris Johnson. So they didn't do it with any great joy. They knew what the flaws were of, of him. They knew what the flaws were in his party's record. I mean, during the campaign itself, things were coming out about how bad the NHS was, how underfunded it was. You know, there was a picture of a, a small boy on some coats in a corridor you know, because there were no beds and things like that. So it wasn't as if people didn't know. But um, enough people, I think, were, were when given the choice, and Brexit complicates this as well as an issue, um, but when given the choice between Jeremy Corbyn and this fantastic programme, and sometimes it did seem fantastic because Jeremy Corbyn was the one fronting it, and and Boris Johnson with, with a manifesto which was basically empty pages with pictures in it, I mean, there was nothing in that manifesto, really, other than, I mean, there was a reason, because during the campaign, he kept saying he was going to get Brexit done, get yeah. Brexit done. And the reason why, part of, one reason why he kept repeating that is because that, that was the core message he wanted to get across. He had nothing else to say, right? <clears throat> so the question is, um, I mean, since 2010, Labour has lost now four general elections with three different electoral strategies, a kind of new Labour-ish strategy in 2010, Ed Miliband's sort of centre-left kind of moving on a little bit in yeah. 2015, and twice a kind of far-left, and especially far-left um, in, in, this, in this, this election um, kind of programme, and it's failed all the time. It's failed both times, all, all, all over. So it's very perplexing, you know, when you think, well, how is Labour going to respond to any of this? Because it's tried all these different measures, and it's failed in different ways. Right. Well, in 2017, they did much better than they did this time around. Oh, they did, yes. but they still lost. Right. They lost. Uh, um, in terms of the, it seems on one level, the Brexit was a no-win bind for the Labour Party because in the numbers I've seen, they lost both Remain voters and Leave voters compared to 2017. More of the Leave, yeah. I think it was something like 10% and 6% or so, but yes. in because the uh, 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 rock and file membership or the possible voters for Labour were split in terms of leave and remain. It seems any, if they had taken a hard position mm. or a very clear position in favour or against at this point, they would have lost one side or the other. They ended up losing a bit of both because they were kind of hedging their bets. You know, we're in favour of, you know, leave if that's what the people want, but let's have another referendum just to be sure. Yeah, I mean, um, certainly Brexit as an issue would have foxed any kind of Labour leader, whether they were on the left, centre or, or the right. Um, but the, the policy that, that Labour embraced by the time of this election was probably the worst of both worlds. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, so it was two remain for leave voters. It was two leave for remain voters. Right. One reason why Boris Johnson won this election was because he united behind the Conservative Party virtually all the leave voters, right? Virtually all of them. Um, Jeremy Corbyn, since since the um, I mean, there's a whole story that some people that, that about Jeremy Corbyn and the EU and, and Brexit since since the EU referendum, which some people say Jeremy Corbyn didn't really fight very enthusiastically to remain. Right. Um, since right. then, he has been. I mean, the day after that 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 referendum um, and the result uh, was known. He called for Article 50 uh, to be invoked there and then, right? Right away. It's is crazy stuff. Because essentially, my, my reading of it is that Jeremy Corbyn is, is, on, is on the far left, um, and he's part of that far left of a certain generation and a certain disposition that thinks Britain should be out of the EU. It should, I mean, he voted against, um, against um, remaining in 1975 in the first referendum, and because he believes the EU is this neo, well, a capitalist club, um, a neoliberal institution. It's something which is, I mean, there are some positives, but broadly speaking, there are lots of negatives. So up until him becoming leader of the party, he had only bad things to say about the EU. And, and but he became leader of a party, the vast majority of whose members, many of whom supported him on the left, were Remainers. And so since, since 2016, he's been trying to chart the course between getting out, I mean, while not being seen as supporting getting out as overtly as you know some 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 people might see might might want him to be, because he wanted to keep his party together. So I think I think the problem wasn't that the membership were divided on it, because eighty percent of Labour members wanted their party to be a Remain party and to have a second referendum. Yeah. It wasn't because the, the the voters were divided, although of course they were. Conservative voters were divided. Right. Yeah, lots of conservative leavers. Where did they go, Steve? Where did the conservative voters who were remain? Did they just take home? They're, well, some of them went to the Liberal Democrats. Some of them might have stayed at home, but most of them went to the Conservatives. Because guess what? When when they were asked um, during the campaign, who, who, what's the biggest threat? You know, you conservative remainers. Is it leaving? Is it Brexit? Is it a Jeremy Corbyn government? And they said a Jeremy Corbyn government. I so I so. You know that was so. So they they were you know t- taken care of, um, and the problem for for Corbyn is that the Remain vote was split. And why was it split? Because he refused. Because he wanted to have a policy that that wasn't explicitly you know implacably Remain. That okay. didn't commit. He was forced almost at gunpoint to to actually have a policy that had a second referendum contained within it. Um, during the campaign, he was asked, well, OK, so if we elect you, Jeremy Corbyn is prime minister, you're going to negotiate a deal. Then you're going to put that deal to um, a referendum. What's your position going to be on that, Jeremy Corbyn, who will be prime minister and leader of the Labour Party? And he said, am I going to be neutral? And people laughed. Because right. How can you negotiate this- a deal that you think is a good deal? And then you say, well, I don't care either way. So, so Brexit was a big problem, a specific, a specific problem for for Jeremy Corbyn because he wanted it. He wanted it for his own reasons. Um, and as a consequence, he muddied the waters. So if yeah. Boris Johnson won because he united the Leave voters, Jeremy Corbyn didn't win because he failed to unite 
the Remain voters because he didn't want to. He didn't want to be a Remain party. And he believed that if Labour had a really radical manifesto, they could say, because their argument of, of the Corbynites was, you know, Brexit is just an epiphenomenon. It's, it's, it's nothing. OK, so the reason why people voted to leave wasn't, that's not really the important issue. The important issue is, is why they were so alienated, you know, so poor, so disenchanted with society. And they said, well, because of austerity, because of inequality, that's why. So they're up, they, they believe that, well, all we have to do is promise to solve all those problems and, and, and that other one will just go away. That'll just go away. So they never took the Brexit Remain issue as serious, as a serious one, primarily because they wanted to leave anyway. So it was that was a very specific kind of problem for Corbyn in that part of the of the left in Britain. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the left Brexit uh, arguments, yeah. and many of them mention Greece as one recent example, of course, as to how horrible the European Union is and how it it handcuffs you from doing certain things. And that was certainly true in the case of Greece. Yeah. I don't understand how that fits with the UK experience because it's not it's not as if it's been that the UK wanted to pass some policies that the U European Union prevented them from. So rather than it being an anti-immigrant, let's say, sentiment that, that bubbles through the populace and, and tries to scapegoat the economic problems, I don't see what the argument is for not being against uh, uh, leaving, since it doesn't really address any of the substantive problems. It simply allows things, especially if they make a deal where you still have free trade and, you know, if all those things are still true, well, how does that address the economic problems that might exist in the UK? Well, that's, I mean, many of Corbyn's sort of supporters in the Labour Party, um, that was their view. You know, they, they, they actually had an organisation um, that wanted, you know, to, to mobilise to remain. Uh, that was explicitly not anti-Corbyn because that was the other thing that was going on in the party. There were some people who were on the Remain side that were using it to sort of undermine his leadership. So, there, but but many but many Corbyn supporters within the party. Um, that's that's the kind of position they had. So the question was, why why are you so against it? And it, either it was because of some sort of implacable cultural memory from the 1970s and and whatever, or that actually Labour, a Labour government under Corbyn had ambitious plans for controlling finance. They imposed capital controls on the city of London, which they could not have done under the European Union. Yeah, so so there were things in the manifesto or beyond the manifesto that that, that they wanted to do that, that did require them to be out of right. the EU. So, so yeah, um, but, but so far as most people were concerned, they couldn't really understand why he was so implacably against... Um, embracing remain. It, it, electorally, it just didn't seem to make much sense. I see. You know, a lot of people have been commenting on the mass media, not just the Sun and the tabloids, but more generally, and to how negatively, really, they were portraying Corbyn mm. and, and the Labour platform. Yeah. You know, ranging from, as I'm sure you, you saw, many claims about anti-Semitism, you know, within the Labour yeah. Party, which seems especially yes. ridiculous today when you have the actual Nazis on the rise and actually killing Jewish people that Jeremy Corbyn and some uh, left liberals in labor are the real threat. Mm. All to, of course, you know, I saw one even one, uh, this was in the tabloids, 
of someone whose card uh, Jeremy Corbyn had hit, dented, and how she's not boarding labor because he's a careless driver and he had hit her car at one point. Um, so <clears throat> I think that really was a, a significant factor in the outcome. Well, um, I mean, certainly Corbyn supporters um, were very um, irate about various examples of media uh, distortion. Um, and of course, I mean, specifically the press. The press was very, um, of course, the, I mean, in Britain, there's only maybe two newspapers that are not fervently right wing, really, maybe three, but Nobody really reads the third one. So, so the the majority of the press, the, the Guardian and uh, and the uh, Independent, Independent, which is really just online now, and then the and then the Mirror, the Daily Mirror as well, the more more popular of, of, of the newspapers. But 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 few of you people read those newspapers. Um, but but the but the thing was, I mean, Jeremy Corbyn. You need to re remember, Jeremy Corbyn wanted this election. He didn't have to have this election at this moment in time. Um, so the Corbynites thought that they could win it. Because they, because 2017, they had, I mean, you mentioned that the vote went up to 40% in 2017, despite people like me saying, oh, it's going to be a disaster. It, it wasn't. I mean, they didn't win, but it wasn't a disaster. It was a very good result. Um, and they believed that Labour would win in 2019 because um, the media, the, t the broadcast media, would be forced to represent Jeremy Corbyn fairly as, because of broadcast rules. Uh, as, as they did in 2017. They actually used the argument for saying, well, the broadcasters have to represent us fairly um, in an election. And look what happened in 2017. You know, Jeremy Corbyn's negative figures rose. He, you know, he became actually more popular. And this will happen again. So they total. So, so what I don't understand is the argument that says, well, Jeremy Corbyn lost in 2019 because of the media, whereas, well, he still had that same problem in 2017. So... What happened? He, 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 yes. So, so it, I mean, the presentation of him and the distortion, the undoubted distortion that does occur, that did occur, which all Labour leaders suffer from. I mean, arguably Corbyn has suffered from it most, but all Labour leaders suffer from it. Ed Miliband did. Neil Kinnock has. Even Tony Blair. Even Tony Blair. Um, they all suffer from it. But this is a kind of a convenient excuse, you know, a, Oh, the, the people didn't understand, didn't like the real Jeremy because of the media, the media distortion. I mean, it's a classic argument. It's, it's one you can make on the left at every single general election, and yet sometimes they win, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic on that. I mean, I, I recognise the distortion and I recognise the power of it, but I am slightly sceptic about, well, why, why didn't it work in 2017, but it worked in 2019? Something must have happened, real material, actually, about Jeremy Corbyn. You can either keep it going or edit it out, right? Okay. Um, so, so I'm a bit, a bit of a skeptic, and I have to say about anti-Semitism, I was uh, myself a little bit skeptical about some of the extreme claims about Jeremy Corbyn and anti-Semitism, right? Because because some of the some of the sources, at least originally, you know, I mean. The Netanyahu government, you know, the Israeli state is not is not unafraid to throw around accusations of anti-Semitism. Ed Miliband suffered from some accusations. Ed Miliband being himself Jewish. Jewish. He was yeah. Jewish. Yeah. He was Jewish, a secular Jew, but he was Jewish yeah. because because um, he changed Labour's policy on on on, on Israel Palestine. Um, so he got he got some. And of that. Corbyn had said he was going to revisit arms sales to Israel. 
yeah. in light of the Palestinian question. Yeah. So, so I, I started on that position thinking, well, you know, this is what some people say, right? Um, it's, they might use it for their own advantage. But increasingly, evidence came out and all these kinds of, I mean, I became convinced that if he wasn't personally anti-Semitic, those, at least one of his remarks indicated a certain borderline kind of English anti-Semitism when he referred to Zionists who had even been born in this country didn't quite get English humour. And that, at, at that point, I just thought, what? What's that going on there? Yeah. But more particularly, Jeremy Corbyn has got a blind spot um, because of his anti-imperialist politics. So he sees anybody who's a victim, an undoubted victim, of, uh, of imperialism, and he, he doesn't ever question them. He doesn't. They, they are the victims. I mean, it's quite a patronising way of looking at these things. They are the victims who he unquestionably kind of embraces, right? Even irrespective of what they stand for in other in other respects. So, the whole Palestine situation, of course, you know, the Palestinians have suffered massively, significantly as a consequence of the actions of the Israeli government. But he's embraced Hamas completely uncritically, um, and with Hamas being, you know, jam packed full of rampant anti-Semites. Yes. So, so the problem for me was that there was, you know, he had a blind spot, but also he's a Corbynism, that, this movement of Corbynism, there's, as in the United States as well, I mean, it's pervasive, there has a, there's a conspiracism at the heart of it, you know, there's right. the us and the them, you know, the system. Well, that seems to be true on, on all sides. Yes, yeah, but, yeah. but, but in, the, in, 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 the, in the Labour Party case, when, when Corbyn became leader, there were people who came from the radicalized kind of anti-imperialist movement who believed in these kind of conspiracies, some of which undoubtedly are, you know, they really exist. But this kind of anti-imperialism merged into kind of anti-Semitic tropes, which they saw as being part of the struggle against Israel. So there was a whole kind of mess. And some of the people were embracing anti-Semitic tropes without necessarily being anti-Semites. And but there was a mess, and they're they all themselves open to those critiques unnecessarily. Absolutely, and 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 of course, a media that is looking to make, you know, make trouble. There was loads of loads of examples that they could point to, and they could point to loads of examples where Jeremy Corbyn failed to ever challenge it. So it's a bit more complicated than just the media made up anti-Semitism as an issue, um, because there is, there, you know, he brought in anti-Semitism as a consequence of his anti-imperialist, his rather binary. You know, black and white. You know, we—they're they're our friends, they're our enemies. Um, kind of an approach. And so, yes, of course, the media made made hay with it. And and the Conservative Party, on the other hand, which is ram packed full of Islamophobes, wasn't being sure. um, exposed in the same way. So and this was all through anti-Semites in their mix. Well, the Conservative Party is, you know, historically a very anti-Semitic, and it, and it could, and has had some problems in this election with anti-Semitic comments from candidates. Right. So. So, yeah, the media played a part, but, but the problem was that Jeremy Corbyn was uniquely vulnerable to accusations of anti-Semitism because of his rather naive, flat-footed, simple-minded anti-imperialism. So that complicated things um, for, for him. And, he, and, and his failure to deal with it um, over three years, I mean, now Labour's probably got a system whereby it can deal with it, but, but 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 as with the whole EU issue, he was dragged kicking and screaming to a position, um, 
And that raises all kinds of, you know, I mean, yeah, Jewish people, I mean, I've been at meetings, I'm, I'm a Labour Party member, I've been at meetings with Jewish Labour members who, I mean, there's no, there's no press or anything, who have talked about how hurt and upset and threatened they've felt by some of this that they have experienced personally. Right. So it's not just the media. He brought something in, um, which then the media could enhance, you know, but, but they weren't making it up. That's the thing. Now, Corbyn has already resigned as the leader. No, no he hasn't resigned. Oh, he hasn't resigned? No, he hasn't resigned. No. Oh, I no. Resigned. Well, unless something's happened in the last hour, um, he has, he said that he won't stand at the next at the next as leader, he won't lead the party into the next general election, which is well, five years away. But not that he has stepped down as of now. He'll he step did, down sometime between now and then. Yes, which he says at the moment he intends it to be sometime next year, but he hasn't resigned. I see. I see. So what what do you think the likely outcome is? Will there be a movement to replace him? Well, um, he. Jeremy Corbyn, the most important thing, because because for the for the left of the of that kind of left in the Labour Party, this is this this is like a once in a not even once in a lifetime. This is once in an institution's life that yeah. they've with Corbyn as leader. It's their opportunity to right. turn the Labour Party into the kind of party they've always wanted it to be. Yeah. Um, they've come close at various points, but they have never been this you know in the leadership. In control of the party, you know that's never, never been the case. They don't, understandably enough, they don't want to give that up uh, without a fight. So when, so the re one reason why Jeremy Corbyn hasn't yet stood down is because they haven't got a candidate. They've got a candidate. To, yeah, but they're not confident that she has got enough support. They, 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 what they want to do is they want to control the narrative of why Labour lost because they're all going around in um, a a memo um, to all sort of shadow cabinet members was leaked as af after the exit poll came out. Um, so everybody who's a, a Corbynite um, and wants to remain loyal to Corbyn has to say, the reason why we lost is because of Brexit. Right. Everything else is fine, right? It's all because of Brexit. So so they're trying to, well, and, and, and so what that does is kind of, they're trying to deflect any criticism of Jeremy Corbyn and any of the way in which the party kind of presented itself, apart from Brexit, and they and when they say it was Brexit, they say, they, they they talk about Brexit like it was the weather, like it was it was just an unfortunate event over like, like an exploding volcano. So they couldn't do anything all over which side they had taken. Well, yeah, they, well they they allied all of that stuff. It was just like oh, it's Brexit. Um, so, but let's forget how difficult Jeremy made it to have a proper policy. Uh, but it's Brexit. So. What they want to do is for, for Corbyn to remain in post as long as possible, for that narrative to be kind of rammed home to the members, while they're also building up this Rebecca Long-Bailey, who's the only, the only one in the parliamentary party that they figure is half decent and might stand a chance. And she's utterly, utterly loyal to Corbyn. I see. Uh, so they're playing for time. Uh, but whether they're given that time, I don't know. The MPs yeah. might do a vote of no confidence and... Just, just, just start a leadership contest straight away next week. We, we don't know. Yeah. So now it looks like Brexit will happen at the end of January. Yeah. Johnson has a healthy majority in oh, the yeah. parliament. 
beyond the Brexit, what other changes do you think they might? Uh... Well, Johnson, um, although, because I think Boris Johnson is nobody really knows what, if anything, he stands for, other than the promotion of Boris Johnson. Right. to the position of power, which he has now achieved, and now he's got a majority, and he's won this great election. So for him, I, I would suspect for him now, it's just, well, he might as well just go, because he's done everything. He's, he's got what, he's, what his heart's <laughs> desires, really. But, um, but nobody... So for everything that he's done has been with that in mind, the kind of promotion of Boris Johnson. So that famously, um, on the eve of the referendum campaign, as a journalist, he had two, um, two articles written. One... Um, that would ex explain why he was going to support Remain and the other that would explain why he was going to support Leave. And his calculations was was that it was in his own best interest to become leader of the Conservative Party if he supported Leave. So that's what he did. But he's not, he's not a Brexiteer. He's certainly not a hard Brexiteer. Um, and he's, he's somebody who can be very flexible. So that being the case, nobody really knows what he's going to do. But... In, in, in his early kind of remarks, since the majority was achieved, um, he is suggested, he's it's, it's implying that he might be what, what we call a one-nation Conservative. Because one reason why he's got the majority he has is because the Conservatives have won all these northern working-class seats that they've never won before. So if he wants to keep hold of them, he's got to do more than simply deliver Brexit. Because right. he recognises... Yes, that'll be finished by the next elections. Yes. Um, well, if it hasn't finished, he'll be finished. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, so he knows that a lot of people in those areas have voted Conservative, not because they, they're enthusiastic about him, not because they, they've all, all of a sudden become Tories of the mind, but because of this one particular issue. But he needs, in order to keep those seats, to deliver on improving public, public services, improving the infrastructure, investing, more nurses, you know, to do things... Um, to, improve, to, to kind of counteract all the years of austerity, or at least present himself as doing that, at least doing it up to a point, to reverse austerity um, to keep those people sweet. So what might happen, bizarrely, is um, we might get kind of a Brexit Britain, which actually is a more, is, is a kind of a country where austerity is being slowly rolled back by a Conservative government. That might happen, and but he's only doing it because it's in his electoral interest so to do. Yes. Um, I mean, we will see. Um, we will see. He's a he's a he's a, he's a fickle protean character. We, you know, he's 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 a sociopath in many ways. So we, you just don't yeah. understand what what motivates him other than self interest, and which can change from day to day. And it, I mean, I think it should also be pointed out that the the it's it's a landslide victory. But in terms of percentages, it is not a overwhelming majority of the population, obviously. I mean, given the electoral system with 42, 43 percent of the vote, you can have a, a, a huge majority in the parliament without necessarily reflecting what portion of the population is, is yes. supportive of, of, of your uh, administration. Yeah, I mean, we, we've got a two-party system. So if one, if one party screws up, yeah. then you kind of, that's it, you're in. Um, and and Thatcher, she she had I think at most forty four percent, been slightly less. She never got more than about what Boris Johnson has got. So so yeah, you're absolutely right. 
And and when and, and given that only 66% of the population I think participated, you can you know you work that one down. So it's not even 40 43% of the electorates. Of course, yeah. So so yeah, but it's can change dramatically. I mean, it's hard obviously always to predict the future, but certainly it's a significant. I mean, it's a a, a huge defeat of Labour and uh, the left in the UK. You know, no yeah. question. I mean, people. There was a survey. I mean, the, the the merits of this kind of a survey, I'm not sure, but people were asked, you know, today, um, did they think of this election result as being a victory for Boris Johnson or a defeat for Labour? I mean, insofar as you can disentangle that, and by about two to one, I think they said it was a defeat for Labour. This this was an election. Jeremy Corbyn screwed up, right? I he got he got lucky in 2017. I mean, I mean. He did certain things that people didn't expect it. He was against a very, I mean, a, a, an, an awful um, conservative leader, Theresa May. He really, I mean, she was she was kind of like a catatonic Richard Nixon. I mean, she just really didn't like talking to people. And less likable than Corbyn in many ways. She even was less charismatic than Corbyn. Oh yes, much less, much less. Um, so he kind of, I mean, you know, he kind of got a little bit lucky with that. But that then he kind of threw away that advantage. He, you know, he he had forty percent. I mean, what? What he did after that, he threw it away. I mean, for for all kinds of reasons. Um, so, this this government, this this terrible conservative government, as you as you pointed out, you know, it's, it's been in office in one shape or form for nine years. I mean, during the course of which the NHS has got much worse. Police have disappeared off the streets. Yes. You know, everybody is aware of all of this, and yet, and, and they cut your they cut the pensions. Yes. Uh, I don't know. No, I don't know if they've cut the pen. I'm not sure they were dead. The academic, uh, for the academics. Oh, oh, well, that's yeah, but yeah, no, one ca- not, no one cares about that, but the academics. But that's, we, we yeah. were on strike last. I was on strike last week. Nobody cares about us. Um, no, they wouldn't do it for for the proper pensioners, you know. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it was a terrible, terrible government with all kinds of things wrong with it. And Boris Johnson was awful. I mean, he was bad. It was just, he wasn't as bad as Theresa May, and he wasn't as bad as Jeremy Corbyn. There was an opportunity there, yeah. and I think they realised it. And that's why they're really, really hacked off. Um, they they had it, and they they just let it slip through their fingers through all kinds of reasons. But it all, it, it all, thing is, the irony is, the Labour left wouldn't be where it is in the Labour Party without Jeremy Corbyn. But 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 with Jeremy Corbyn, he kind of made it impossible for them to ever achieve national office. So he was kind of like Moses, you know, he brought them to the promised land, but he he couldn't, couldn't actually go into the promised land. But in yeah. some it sounds like there's parallels with the 2016 elections here, which Trump should never have won. I mean, he was not, of course, a, a, a strong candidate or, you know, but Hillary Clinton was so bumbling and so bad and screwed it up so much that even Trump managed to win. Yeah. Oh, no, she, I mean, even just watching from over here, she was awful, wasn't she? I mean, I, I, I can never understand. I mean, I mentioned Nixon and, and Theresa May. I can never understand why people with those issues want to take to the public stage, because that is not really where they should be. They should be somewhere, you know, hidden away somewhere. Um, when they're so bad at actually being politicians in, you know, campaigning, it's like, what's going on? But there are plenty of them. Well, we'll see what happens uh, this time around. But, you know, yeah. many people are, are, are predicting that the uh, victory of Johnson now, you know, the Tories and 
the American elections coming up in November will be bookends of an overall very uh, uh, bleak uh, year in politics with, yeah. you know, the, the far right. Because, I mean, and, and again, we should also emphasize that the Tories have moved toward the right in these last uh, uh, years. They have, they have become even more conservative in some ways in that a lot of the, uh, 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 the more xenophobic uh, uh, factions that were part of uh, other parties five, ten years ago now have become integrated into stories. Uh, mm. But that's, the thing is that that's an echo of what's happened in the Labour Party. I mean, the Labour Party members are now more radicalised than ever they were and, and literally chased out a whole kind of generation and cohort of more centre-left politicians. I mean, some of them are still in there, but yeah. many of them have left and, and formed their own party, you know, a bit disastrous or whatever, or joined the Liberal Democrats. And the Conservative Party is exactly the same. They, they, their membership, which is much smaller, but they've, they, they, they've, they've, they've become more radicalised and chased out lots of centre-right moderates yeah. who, you know, who, stood, who stood against their old party in this election and didn't do particularly yeah. well. So yeah. this, is a, this is a phenomenon which is kind of slightly disturbing because party members have got quite a lot of power now in both parties. They're the ones that ultimately choose who is the leader. Um, which is why you know Boris Johnson was talking all the nonsense he was talking during last summer because he knew he had to say a load of old rubbish because to the party members and to the party members yeah so yes so the solution may not be a return to the center for labor let's say because if the tendency is to take a more extreme position and there may not be the case that a candidate that returns labor to a more center left you know, closer to new labor of yeah. Tony Blair and the others, that might not be the winning strategy. Uh, well, I think I think the whole new labor thing is a that's that's never going to happen. It's not going to happen for many many years. I mean, anyone that wants to replace Jeremy Corbyn, even the ones that aren't Corbynites, even the ones that that voted against him in 2016 um, and didn't vote him vote vote for him in 2015, those those people will know that they will have to even. Their criticisms of Corbyn and Corbynism will have to be very tempered because they need to win the, the members over. Yes. yes. You've, got, you've got about a third of the members who are implacably anti-Corbyn, about a third of the members that are implacably pro-Corbyn, and about a third that are well disposed to Jeremy as a person and believe in much of what he stood for, um, stands for, apart from the Brexit strategy. Um, so they they are the so they have to that there will not be a return to anything like that kind of centre, um, kind of centrist yeah. politics, uh, if New Labour was, was part of that. I mean, it, they, they will be advocating a position that would be well to the left of Ed Miliband in 2015 yeah. to get elected. And so, another, another uh, uh, outcome of yesterday's election was that the uh, Scottish National Party did extremely well. And uh, by and large... Uh, the Scots are not in favor of Brexit and they're not in favor of austerity and many other things. Do they have a chance of finally becoming independent or? No. No. I well, I, I, would, <laughs> I, would, I would say not. I mean, Johnson has just, con just confirmed something which really didn't need much confirming. Um, that, I mean, Nicola Sturgeon, the leader of the SNP, who on the basis of their performance in this election has said, this clearly means that there should be a second referendum, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but, but you can only get a second referendum 
um, through Westminster. Yes. Uh, and Boris Johnson has said, not going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. So 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 they're, they're in a kind of position a bit like, um, you know, um, Cat- uh, the Catalans. Catalan, yeah, they had a referendum, but it was declared illegal. Well, it was. It was illegal. Um, so. Um, so I, I don't know that the, that the SB ever said that, that they would do an illegal referendum because, I mean, partly, I mean, Boris Johnson isn't ever going to concede that, um, partly because there is being anti being anti-independence in Scotland. There are votes. I mean, there are you know, it's about a third of the population yeah. um, will support an implacable anti and anti-independence party. And that is a conservative party. So it's in his, it's in his political interests. To, to keep say, that faction with him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, to, and to be honest, I think... He's never going to get the other side anyway. He's never going to be able to persuade the other side. Yeah, so he, there's, there's no reason for him to compromise with that. Um, and, and to be fair, there was a... Ref, you know, the, the deal of that referendum was it was a once-in-a-generation thing. Right. You know, they lost. Right. So, so the SNP had been unpicking things because, oh, because of the Brexit thing and, you know, you vote for another Conservative government. But they, these are... these, I mean... Looking at the issue in its kind of bald, the bald sort of nature of it, there should be another referendum. There was one, right? Have one in another twenty years. You know, you don't, you can't keep having. This was yeah, one of the until you win, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was one of the arguments like having a second referendum about Brexit. You know, well, we had one. You know, we had one in seventy-five. We had one just now. You don't have them every every day of the week on the same issue. So, so there's a kind of constitutional aspect to it, but but also the SNP, they have their cake and eat it. You know, so so they're running they're running Scotland at the moment, yes, um, yes. and with with this with this abiding grievance that they you know, independence, and yet and yet while they're governing Scotland, every time anything goes wrong, they'll go they'll go well that's not our fault that's Westminster, so they're kind of getting a free pass on on a lots of things. So I I mean I don't know there's there's I always think with nationalists it's kind of. They kind of want to be independent, but they kind of don't, because as soon as they become independent, then it's all down to them. And, and becoming independent, and independent Scotland will be will be hit by economic repercussions in the same way that a Brexit Britain will be hit by economic repercussions. So, and, that, and of course, that's not going to make them too popular. So I think a lot, you know, a lot of this is posturing, but where the SNP go with that, I don't know. That would be interesting. If they go down the, the Catalan route, then it could get a bit tasty, but I don't know that they, they will do that. And the Northern Irish will be satisfied with a deal that include. They will never, I think, be happy with a, a reimposition of a border between uh, the Republic of Ireland and, and Northern Ireland. Correct? They have to find some way of solving that problem. Well, um, I mean, I mean, at some point in the distant in the distant future, I guess Northern Ireland and and the rest of Ireland will become one. I mean, just by the process of population. Um, to an extent, um, and and obviously the, the whole the point with both of them being in the EU with the Good Friday Agreement was it, it was all it was irrelevant. It ultimately, it it, it it became a null issue being you know Northern Ireland being separate from from the rest of Ireland or being in Britain. It didn't because in practice it didn't mean it didn't mean anything whether you were or you weren't. It was a kind of a, a totemic thing. I mean that that that's the problem with Brexit that what it's done um, and more more for Protestants. Um, I mean, now there is a border between uh, there are checks between Northern Ireland and the rest of the United Kingdom. And, you know, when, when trade goes from Britain to Northern Ireland um, and the other way around, there have to be checks because 
as part of the deal that Boris Johnson negotiated, which he said he wouldn't do, but he did, um, it involves Northern Ireland being treated for trade purposes as still part of the EU, even when Britain's left for, its, for, for a certain number of years. And that is just outrageous to, to Protestants. You know, they are, I mean, in a, in a way that it's difficult to understand, they are, they are more British than the British, you know. And, and so any kind of little slight which, which they see as kind of reducing this British, they go, they go bonkers. And, and, and they also now feel betrayed by Johnston. Um, so how that all plays out, I don't know. But I think radical elements in the Protestant community could take matters into their own hands. I mean, Northern Ireland is only just, you know, one, one argument away from somebody shooting somebody. So, you know, this, this yeah, is more than that. Dangerous. Uh, yeah, it's a dangerous situation. It'd be messing around with and do you think there's any possibility of the British uh, immigrants being kicked out of France and Spain and Greece and, and these places, or they'll find some way of... Uh, I think paying. they'll find some way, because, because of course, um, yeah, it's a quid pro quo thing. So if, if they yeah. kick our lot out, we'll kick it. So that, that, that is something that, that, that I'd be very surprised if that happens. So you don't think that the UK will impose uh, 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 restrictions on... Uh, 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 movement between EU and UK. Uh, oh, oh, there will be. Oh, there, there will be. Oh, yeah, there will well, be restrictions. Then the other side retaliate in kind. No, oh, sorry, I think I must must have misunderstood you. I thought you'd, because there's lots of um, British people who na who reside in Europe in the same way yeah. that, yeah. Well, but, but the British government has already agreed that those people that have been resident in, in Britain for a certain amount of time, that's okay. it. They, they can stay. And so, what, about, what about new people? Ah, well, they will be subject. I mean, because that that was, that was the single most important aspect to the Brexit yeah. that referendum. Because, I mean, stopping EU nationals freely entering Britain was one of the was one of probably the the, the crucial issues that mobilised um, many people to vote to leave because they they didn't want any more immigrants. You know, in this kind of sort of irrational thing so yeah that's that that's already done you know there will there will be restrictions on immigration uh, between between britain and the eu that's 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 already accepted and it, it's not likely that you know cyprus and spain and these other places would retaliate and say oh with gibraltar and yeah yeah that those things haven't yet been addressed I see. so yeah the practical implications of all of these bigger decisions haven't yet been addressed. So, yeah, you're right. Th th those are two areas that it could kick off. Um, I mean, if I remember well, when I was in the UK, there were two kinds of programs on television. One was how much money you can get by selling off things you inherited from your grandmother. And the other one was how to get the hell out of the UK in, <laughs> house in Spain or Cyprus, someplace sunny with an ocean nearby and good food. So. Yeah, yeah, that would lots. Be a big hit yeah. for it to actually. Well, you know, um, I guess I guess there will be ways and means through which people with the money, um, who you know want, want want to settle somewhere in the sun and buy buy their ideal home in the, like those programs, um, then that that will be a, a ways and means because they're always you know before Britain was in the EU. That's you know there were those. People. Yeah, you're still yeah. doing it, and if you had the money, you could always find a place to. And, go. 
I mean, Graham Greene, the author Graham Greene, lived in Antibes, didn't he, for 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 most of his life? And um, Anthony Burgess lived just down the road in the south of France. So if you got the money, um, yeah, the but pound, it, 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 the it pound was stronger than compared to the franc or that. Yeah. Um, in those days, yeah, in those days, yes, yeah. Good. Well, yes, it sounds it's, like we have a, a lot to uh, not look forward to, but uh, <laughs> at least it'll be at least it'll be of some interest. Yes, yeah, um, I mean. Yeah, the fate of Jeremy Corbyn and and the fate of Britain more generally, and what what will Boris Johnson really turn out to be? Um, yeah, these are all issues which have yet to be decided, but none of which I suspect there will be a very good answer to in the end. All conclusions will be messy and unsatisfactory. People can always apply for political asylum in Germany or Sweden. You know, if things get well, too bad. Well, I've got I've got a great um, I've got a great grandmother um, who's French um, or was. Yeah. French. And I've, I've even got, I've even got a picture of her standing outside her shop in Dunkirk, but sadly um, the French they're not interested um, oh. in someone that far back. So I I would I would have investigated that very seriously. Well, but in uh, Italy and Greece, it goes back three generations. If you can right. prove going back three generations, then you qualify for citizenship. I think the French are a little bit more picky. Yeah. <laughs> well, wonderful. I mean, I mean, if it was that rich, I could I, I could buy a passport from Malta. At least you used to be able to buy passports. When you know, that, well, you, that can, no, you can get a green card to the EU if you buy property of two hundred fifty thousand or or higher. So, in the worst case scenario. All right. Okay. Well, it doesn't I'll, take I'll, much. Doesn't take much. <laughs> I'll, I'll think about it. Yeah. <laughs> very good. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It was great to. Uh, to discuss these things with you and to see you again. Yeah, nice to see you. There is a war between the rich and poor, a war between the man and the woman. There is a war between the ones who say there is a war and the ones who say that there isn't. Why don't you come on back to the war? That's right, get in it. Why don't you come on back to the war, it's just beginning.